But there's no real payoff to being an Olympic church, you know, like being the best at the very best you can possibly be. So there becomes this law of diminishing returns. And even, I think, not even just diminishing returns, but almost counterproductive return, where you're working so much to get to that excellence or perfection or whatever that no one in your church will notice. So what I'll often ask is, will anyone in our church notice if we did that? I don't think we ask that enough as leaders of who are we really doing this for? Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. We've got Pastor Sean Wood on the show today. Sean is the lead pastor of Freedom Church in Monk's Corner, and we have a really great conversation around what to do when a leader realizes they are the problem, how to build an emotionally healthy staff that still works hard, why you don't have to choose between discipleship and evangelism in the local church, and how quickly the desire for excellence can turn into comparison. But before we get into the interview, I wanna help you understand how you are uniquely wired and created to dream and lead by God. That's why I created a free quiz for you to discover your unique dreamer type. You'll find out which of the five dreamer profiles you are, as well as how to build on your own strengths and then identify your weaknesses so you can stop getting in your own way as you seek to bring to life the dreams that God has given you. So you can find out how to take that quiz at the link in the show notes and the YouTube description. It'll take less than two minutes and it's free. And while you're at it, don't forget to get your copy of This Dream Is Not For You, Learn To Live By Letting Go. That's my new book that's available now wherever books are sold. All right, let's join my conversation with Sean Wood. Hey, Sean, it's great to have you on Dreamers and Disciples. Hey, it's great to be here, Wade. So good to see you and to be a part of what you're building here on this platform. I'm I'm so excited to be a part of it. Thank you, my friend. Well, let me ask you the official opening question of the podcast. What are you dreaming about right now? Well, besides dreaming about Tom Brady coming back to be the Patriots quarterback again uh, and not have to be losing all the games that we are losing this season, um, I am uh, dreaming about a lot of things in the church, but one specifically is really... Um, sort of a heartbeat that we have is this uh, this tension between um, a church that really strives after reaching lost people, um, a church that really values excellence and um, arts and seeing that in worship. And so a lot of that comes with production and different things. But yet, being a person who has been um, impacted a lot over the last five years or so, Um, and diving into my emotional health, um, the emotional health of my staff, of my church, and of my friends, and just really seeing the impact that that makes. And seeing, um, I guess I'm dreaming about a world where those two things can live together harmoniously. And um, I think the one of the reasons we're here is I asked you that question. I said, hey, who's doing this? Who is, uh, I'm dreaming about a church where uh, we can have a flow like both of us have kind of been in for most of our ministry careers, um, where we're reaching lost people and doing things, innovative things, and always with a high value to excellence, um, but also knowing that we're healthy and uh, we're doing things in a way that produces healthy followers of Jesus in both our churches and our staff, but then even more importantly for me, in, in me, like, how can I do all these things? And so um, I was asking you for like, hey, who do you know that's doing this? And you said, why don't we talk about it and see what you're doing? And and so that's kind of how we find ourselves here. And um, for me, the dream is I just don't, I'm not willing to give up on God's vision for reaching lost people, 
for excellence. I just I believe in that. I don't I don't believe we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like very very concerned about um, what that what the product is of that. What 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 how what does that produce? And so finding that that beautiful in between uh, new move of God, hopefully, is mm-hmm. what I'm dreaming about. I got really excited when you texted me that question because I I do feel like a lot of people think you have to be in one camp or the other. You have to be in the prayer-focused, discipleship, spiritual formation, practicing the way side of things. Or you are all in on a very evangelistic focus, like you said, high energy, more charismatic. And I believe that there are beautiful things about both. I would love to hear more about your specific personal journey of, you know, how did God start stirring this up within you? How did you start feeling this tension within yourself? Yeah, I think it's a story that you'd probably hear a lot. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's unique or not, but uh, plan of the church in 2011, um, never imagined that it would grow as fast as it growed. And for us, it grew, it grew very fast, especially for our context. We're in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, a small community. And we grew very, very rapidly and very fast. And I had done some, some big leadership things at Seacoast Church where I got a chance to spend 10 years and learn from my pastor, Pastor Greg Surratt, but I'd never done anything at this level. I'd never led a church before by myself. And so Connie and I are pastoring together. We're doing this together and we're growing and we're growing and we're growing. And then with that comes, Man, and this is what all church leaders know, it happens every week. Like every single week, you've got to <laughs> you've got to reproduce. And we were set up and tear down and small staff and trying to grow a staff and 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 then trying to disciple people and learn things. But yet, all these new people kept coming in, and so all of this happened in a whirlwind where you you don't even realize kind of it's all happening until it culminated to a place where um, I didn't even realize because I wasn't keeping an eye on my soul that I wasn't really keeping an eye on other staff members' souls either. Um, I wasn't really, we didn't have that as a high value. We cared for people, we loved them, but it really wasn't in the context of what we learned where there were some really unhealthy things going on with some staff members that just were were not, were not good to the overall, uh, for the staff. So that led to this like kind of come to Jesus moment for us as leaders and as the staff and as a church and everything. And in that, it would have been really easy. And I think what a lot of people probably do, and I probably did numerous times in my life when I had this chance, because we all get these cycles of chances, you know, to like look inside ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular time, I felt like uh, because of Holy Spirit's guiding and just seeing the what I needed to see that I was able to actually go, wait a minute, to quote the great Taylor Swift, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me a little bit, you know, like, hey, I know everybody's got some stuff going on. But at the end of the day, I had to ask some questions, like specifically as a leader, the question I asked was, what is it like to be on the other side of me? Like it's an Andy Stanley question, but I love it because I was starting to see like, I don't, I don't know if it's that great to be on the other side of me. Yeah, we're kicking butt, taking names, doing great things. But to get there, this is maybe some things that aren't so great. And in that, the next step for me was not just going, okay, we'll go fix that. Because I'm an Enneagram 8, I'm a leader, I'm a fixer. So I'll go, okay, well, what are the attributes of a healthy person? I'll go do those things. <laughs> I will, I'll, just do, I'll just be that person. Like I can become, I'll win, I'll become that person. I actually this time was able to go, wait a minute, those aren't even really the important questions is what is it like to be on the other side of me? Why is it like that? 
to be on like, why is it like that to be on the other side of me? And uh, through counseling and uh, spending time with Holy Spirit, and then through some resources that we can talk about that I know you and I share love for, um, we were able, Connie and I both were able just to walk through a process of going, okay, we want to be better leaders. Like, um, I think we've been good leaders, but our, our church, our opportunities, um, really where we should be as um, leaders at this age we has moved faster than we have. And mm-hmm. we want to do some things to figure that out. And so um, we, we spent some time in that. Connie found a great resource called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, which uh, honestly, I don't, I'd never heard of it before at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, now I see that it's trending and it's, you know, uh, one of the top books and stuff, but I'd never heard of it. Uh, she found it through a friend who's like, yeah, this was really instrumental for me. Uh, we went through that together. Um, actually, she went through it first, um, which is how it usually is, is she does great <laughs> right. things. And then she's like, hey, you should try this out. And I'm like, okay, if you liked it, I know I will. So she went through it. She loved it. And uh, then we went through it together. And then it was so impactful to us that we took our staff through it. And then once we took our staff through it, it was so impactful to our staff. We took our whole church through um, the whole Emotionally Healthy Spirituality curriculum and everything and just went through it as a series of sermons and small groups and synced up. And um, it was really impactful uh, for us. And alongside that, um, in that journey, um, you know, I don't know, uh, Wade, you know, we're close in age. We're close in growing up in similar style of churches. I grew up in the Baptist world. Um, I then got uh, into charismatic flow and then uh, had a wide variety of things through being with Pastor Greg and different things. And I saw all kinds of churches. Um, but I didn't have, no one ever taught me how to do soul work. Like no one ever taught me. It was read your Bible as mm-hmm. knowledge, Um it was, you know, do these good things that you should do and just be overall, be a good person and love Jesus and you're good. But no one ever taught me how to, to pause and actually, so I would, I would read the word, but I, I didn't sit in it. I didn't sit in it. Well, I'm a fast moving person anyway, so it doesn't come natural. And so John Eldridge uh, has this book, Resilient, and in that he did this uh, pause uh, app that you can go to. And mm-hmm. I started doing these pauses and uh, changed my life. Just this moment to just pause with God, um, allow Him, you know, He calls it benevolent detachment, saying, uh, Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. I don't have to fix it right now. And I'm just going to pause and I'm going to spend time with you and I'm going to let you speak to my soul. I I mean, I am sad to admit, I've been a pastor for years, decades, and didn't know how to do that. I didn't. I didn't even know I was supposed to do that. I don't think. You know, I just kind of did the things that I'd been taught, and so it's been super impactful to us. Um, and so we kind of resonate with the crowd that you talked about—the practicing the way crowd, the emotionally healthy spirituality crowd. But what I'm noticing is, and I'll, I'll let you get in another question or whatever, because that's, that's I know that's my story, and we can talk about this some maybe. But what I'm noticing is, is we're so trendy as churches. Like we are, we are just. It's good. Like trends are good, right? You watch trends. Um, you see what other people are doing. It allows you not to pay dumb tax. It allows you to go, wait a minute, that church. I mean, I when you were on staff at Elevation, I would call you guys with problems and go, hey, y'all got a whole bunch of staff working on this. What have y'all figured out? You know, help me because I can't pay all those people and y'all can. So, you know, give me. So I love trends. I love following churches. I love all that stuff. But what I've noticed is, is we just start to cookie cut things. And what I'm seeing now is, the trendy, hip, cool thing is 
the emotionally healthy church and the practicing the way church. And not to those, those organizations are amazing. Love them, love mm-hmm. the people that lead them. But now it's just a language that's starting to take place. And I wonder if it's empty language sometimes. I don't want it to be for me. Um, I wonder if it... If it's just like, oh, okay, if, you know, if there's there's an aesthetic to it even now. I had someone tell me the other day, they're like, oh, we need to move to, you know, just white backgrounds and beige backgrounds because like these churches that are really healthy spiritually, that's what they're doing. And I was like, so we have an aesthetic now to like what it looks like on the production side to be. So that stuff starts to worry me. We can talk about that more later. I got a lot of hot sports opinions on all of that. <laughs> and uh, but uh, But that's our journey. Like we came to this place of going, we need to be better. I want to be better. Um, health-wise, I wanted to be better. I felt like it was affecting my physical health. Um, I honestly got to a place where I didn't believe I could make it. And I really want to preach deep into my 60s, maybe 70s. And I was like, I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm not going to make it physically, emotionally. Um, And it was even getting to the place where I was even thinking like, oh, I have to preach this week rather than I get to preach this week and I can't wait to preach this week. And so there was just a lot of internal signs like that for me that were like, hey, you're not gonna, you're you're not that old yet and you're not gonna make it if you keep at this pace. So that's kind of our our personal story. And I really appreciate you just being honest and vulnerable about that process. And as you were talking, so many of the things, even the tools and resources that God used in you and Connie's journey are very similar to what the Lord did in my own with, yeah. I mean, I, I distinctly remember the summer of 2020 being in a really low place, trying to figure out why I didn't feel healthy in my soul and in my heart. And one of the things that God used to help begin that process of growth and health and wholeness was emotionally healthy spirituality. And also I started reading some stuff by John Eldridge and that yeah. benevolent detachment. And that specific prayer you mentioned is a prayer that I still pray all yeah. the time. And I think, you know, growing up with my grandfather being a pastor and my family being in ministry and in Baptist circles, for me, it was spiritual health looked like, did you have your quiet time today? Yeah, And it was just checking a box. And it wasn't really about laying my soul before the Lord and inviting Holy Spirit in to speak to me and to change me and challenge me. And um, and so, yeah, just, I, I just commend you for being brave enough to even just say, I think the problem might be me and it might yeah. be trickling down to the rest of the staff. Did you have a moment I know you took your staff through emotionally healthy spirituality, yeah. but before that, did you have a moment where you said that to your staff? Oh yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't get into the deep details of it, but we had, you know, another common story, unfortunately, but some staff betrayal that happened and um, some different things where where it was like it was absolutely necessary to go to our staff and say, hey, here, here's what we're doing because we we can't. I, I came to a place through counseling, um, through. Uh, time with God, through coaching, all kinds of things where I really came to a place of going, wait a minute, those specific issues were actually not that connected to me. They were, they were a lot less connected to me than, than I even thought in the beginning. 
but it was necessary for me to see like I had let that happen in my house. And the reason I'd let that happen in my house was because of some unhealth in me and not disassociating myself from that. Because mm-hmm. that's that's probably, you know, I cannot put my finger on these places where I did that, but I know I did. I had to, because I know God had been trying to bring this up to me for a while. And so what I had to have done is disassociated from it to go, that's them. That's on them. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm rocking and rolling. I'm doing great. I'm checking off my boxes. I'm having the quiet time. I'm reading my Bible. I'm preaching the Bible. I'm living this thing out, man. I'm doing good stuff and I'm not doing crazy stuff. Like I'm, I'm going great. And so I disassociated from like, okay, wait a minute, that stuff. Yeah. So there was a moment where we just, you know, we came to the staff and um, I find that, um, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership, John Maxwell says, and it's true. Mm-hmm. And so when I know, I, if, I, if I'm unhealthy, I know that the staff is feeling the residual of that. There's no way they can't. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and we're a small staff, you know, we're not a massive staff. I, you know, definitely had this moment where we huddled up and, you know, we talked about what God was doing in us and really wanted to paint a picture of, you know, it's important to us to paint a picture of like, hey, this is what he's doing in the whole church. This is what he needs to be doing in everybody. And we talk about that a lot still. Um, you know, I, and we'll talk about this maybe more when we talk about what we are doing to kind of blend these mm-hmm. worlds is, you know, we often will have a pause in the in the midst of a, uh, a sermon. I'll say like, hey, this is a good moment where we could pause to reflect on this. Um, you know, we will, we, we've added in prayer um, as a uh, like uh, corporate prayer, something we do every week um, because uh, I found that that to be something that was really missing in our church environment that we never prayed publicly, corporately together. And so we talk about a lot that this is really the discipleship process. Like, okay, yeah. So where we kind of land is, hey, we can't disciple you. You can't get, you can't ask for benevolent detachment until you have something to attach to. And so salvation is still the number one priority. Lost people are still our number one priority because we want to disciple you. And, but yet when we do get you what we want to help you do is see what discipleship is. And it's, and so all of this is a part of that process of like, you know, Lectio Divina is another one, you know, we've talked about before, but mm-hmm. doing the Lectio 365 app, we, we oftentimes, I'll mention those of like, hey, here's what I do to help me in these areas. And so we did that with the staff as well, just vulnerably sitting down. What I found um, that I love so much about my pastor, Pastor Greg Surratt, and, and being one of the largest churches in the country is that he never lost touch or vulnerability with the staff. They all just, they knew what he was struggling with. They knew what he was going through. And I, you know, I think that's partly just his temperament, but I think it's partly strategic of like, hey, how can how can you follow me if you don't see me where I'm going, what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And so we've tried to be very vulnerable and, and you know, uh, transparent as much as, possible, but vulnerable at least, authentic at least, I guess, um, with all the processing that we're doing. We obviously have conversations we've had with our counselor that our staff will never know about, um, mm-hmm. but but uh, we, we try to let them know as much as possible what's going on. Yeah. A lot of the times when we think about an emotionally healthy staff or leadership style, I think our generation tends to interpret that as you just pat everybody on the back yeah. and tell them they're doing a good job. You don't have deadlines. You just kind of get to coast and everything is just always, everyone's always nice. Everything's always good. Yeah. But that's not really how people grow or develop or how you hold someone accountable. So how have you created an environment where 
It is safe. People feel this sense of psychological safety. They feel that you care for them. Yet they also are challenged the same way Jesus challenged the disciples. And, you know, they're held accountable for what they do well and then also what they don't do well. How have you navigated that balance? I think we're still navigating it a little bit, um, but I do think we've done a good job with it too. Uh, So Connie and I both are Enneagram 8s. We are both D eyes on the disc profile. Um, you know, we we are uh, we are running and gunning aggressive uh, leaders. I mean, that's just who we are. And so, I think early in this process, one of the things I really dealt with was that very thing you're talking about. Is um, I was like, man, do I do I need to change who I am? Like, am I am I can I lead? Can I be me and lead healthy or? or Am I unhealthy? Like, is just and and so a lot of work in that and starting to under, understand even more who I am and and how I'm wired up. I've learned one thing is I've learned that. So I think I think a lot of our debates, like worship style, um, discipleship or evangelism, um, you know, uh, production high production low production style, the way you do your staff. Mm-hmm. I think someone should do a study on this. Someone should write a book on this because I bet it's just it's rich with stuff. I think it's so influenced by our temperaments. I think that, you know, if if you are a a, a sort of chill temperament, if you're an Enneagram nine, um, you know, you're just gonna you're gonna jive a little bit more with practicing the way and John Mark Comer and just be like, oh man, this chill vibe. I just love this. And that's what's right. And that's what leadership is. And that's what it should look like. Whereas if you're more, you know, high strung. Enneagram eight, aggressive success. You know, my primal question from Mike Foster is, am I successful? You know, that's my, that's my primal question is that's what I'm asking about all of life. And, um, you know, when you're dealing with that, it's going to be, it's going to look differently. So, so part of what we've done staff wise is, you know, I, I would say the first year after the staff betrayal stuff, we didn't do anything. Like we were just like, we're just learning about ourselves and we're not going to critique anybody. We're not going to say anything. I remember I made like a no critique. I will not critique anything policy for myself. And there was like a piece of trash in our auditorium near my seat that stayed there for over 90 days. And it, it, it drove me and I wasn't going to pick it up. <laughs> and I was, I mean, that's just where I was in my health journey. I was like, I'm not picking it up. I'm not saying anything about it. Like it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. You know, and it drove me crazy. But, but I give that example to our staff all the time of like what that process was like for me. But then eventually after, you know, we, we kind of got out of that because the staff that was still with us, you know, was really hurt, was really healing as well. Everybody was healing. And so we sort of started to open back up. And about a year in, I was like, oh, wait a minute, I still got to lead. Like I, I still, it can't just be everybody do your thing and we hope it turns out okay. I still got to lead. And I started trying to figure out how do I lead? Um, and I, I'm finding though, I mean, temperament, um, generational. You know, we got the most work, most generations in the workforce right now that we've ever had in the history of our country, really, as far as like the amount of each one that's in the workforce. And I'm finding that, you know, I'm having to learn a lot of new things, um, how to lead the younger leaders. And so that's a part of that, part of that journey. Because what I consider, you know, appropriate critique and appropriately like saying, hey, that's not acceptable. Why are you doing that? That may just be like, total bummer to them and they've never dealt with that before. I even heard a coach, I'm into sports, I love sports. I heard a coach saying like, imagine now trying to coach up 17, 18, 19 year olds in college football and having to figure out being triggered and, you know, who's, Hmm. who's got what mental 
uh, stuff going on and where are they at in this space and what's going on. He said, we used to get us yell at people. Like we used to get us yell at them, get on the field, do what you're supposed to do. And he was just saying, basically like everything's changed. And I thought, well, that's good. I mean, that's good. No more Bobby Knights in the world, you know, screaming <laughs> and throwing chairs and stuff. But there is still a place for like, sometimes you have to look at someone and say, hey, I, um, you said you were gonna do A and you didn't do A. And um, that that's not acceptable. And we got to figure out how we're not going to do that again. And the the temperament on the other side of that, the age of the person on the other side of that is going to interpret that in so many different ways. And so it even goes back to this, like, are they healthy? Because right. if they're healthy, they, they then you go, hey, I, I'm, I'm coming to you at a place of health for myself, a place of health for you. And, um, and so I'm just, I'm really uh, want you to be... Um, healthy in this. And one of the things that we've taught our staff, and I'll be real quick with this, but we said there's critique. And critique is, um, hey, you did something that I didn't like, or we didn't like that thing you did, that thing you made, the way you did it or whatever, but it's really not about you. It's, it's more about the product that you made and it's okay. Like we just want to critique it. Everybody gets to have opinions, but in the grand scheme of things, that didn't work for our organization. So don't get personally, don't feel personal about critique. And we're going to, we say we're a high critique culture. So you know, hey, we could have done those lights better. Hey, it didn't smell as good as we wanted it to smell out here. That doesn't, it doesn't say anything about your character. It doesn't say anything about your work ethic. Just let's just fix it. Let's just critique it. And then the next thing is um, that we want to cr um, uh, critique and then um, uh, confrontation. So then there's confrontation. Sometimes there's confrontation when you're going to say, hey, I had to confront you on this because this was about you. Like this actually is something you did. And so this was the not just the thing you did, but it's it's a decision you made. And so it's it's I'm gonna I'm gonna confront you on that and we're gonna have um you know some 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 discussions about that. And then we say the third thing is correction, meaning, and when I say correction, I, I leave that at least here in our in our, you know, the handles we put on it is sin. Like you send hmm. against someone. That's totally different than just, you know, those other two. I'm gonna, now we're talking about a sin issue. This is now we're getting in the Bible and going, hey, that was gossip or that was a lie or this is some sin in your life we need to deal with. And that's different than just, hey, you, you didn't do your best job there. You could have done a much better job or you created something that wasn't up to our standard. That, those are three completely right. different things. So I'll teach that pretty often to our staff because what happens is we muddle all that together. And then a high critique culture can feel like a high correction culture and it's not the same. And so what you'll hear people saying is, man, they were they were super, it was this, it, it was hard to work there and uh, you know, at this particular place. And it was just always this, and it felt like they were always mm -hmm. beating us down. And really, if you could, if you could dissect it and do an autopsy of it, you would go, Oh, no, you just got you got just got some critique. It's okay though. Right. Like that's fine. No one was holding your character accountable to that. So we tried to do that in um, leading that way. But I do think the temperament thing, like, is, is huge. Like as I see the aesthetic behind it, as I see those things that are coming up, um, and we've learned there's certain enneagrams that we work best with and that respond best to us. Um, there are certain, um, what is it? Uh, the widget is the working geniuses. There are mm -hmm. certain working geniuses that we can have on our team. And there are certain, uh, that's Pat Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni. Yep. Um, there are certain working geniuses that like in the way that we work, we, we don't, um, 
value as much as an organization and they get they get to where they feel very devalued very quickly. And so we're we're doing a lot of work in that space as far as like who we do have, but even more so in our hiring to go, oh yeah, we don't we don't work that well with those Enneagrams. They don't respond to us well. Um, for instance, an unhealthy two, you know, in my organization is just gonna be, it's gonna be rough. It's gonna be rough. So if I'm hiring a two, I've got to really, really get involved in like asking a lot of questions and, hey, how's it going? Now, ones, we work really well together. Like Enneagram ones, I'm like, I'll hire ones all day long because they just need to know the rules. And as long as they know the rules, you know, they're good. So anyway, we're doing some work in that stuff, trying to keep it healthy. Um, you know, we asked the question of, are you pausing often? That's the language we use. We went away from, for those who are emotionally healthy, spirituality people, you'll know what I'm talking about. We went away from the daily office language because it just didn't mm -hmm. gel with us. So we use pause as kind of a inclusive to daily office mm -hmm. to the pause that Eldridge kind of does as well. We kind of morph those two things into one and sort of use that language. So we're asking, hey, are you pausing? Where are you at in your health? And then we also have a staff member whose only role really out, well, he, he does a few other things. He'll preach on the weekend every now and then, but his primary role is staff health. So he's meeting with all of our staff on a quarterly basis with their spouses and talking life, how's marriage going? How are you doing? What can, what can you do better to grow? He's doing all those things. And then he's available anytime they need him really in between those meetings uh, and then we also offer counseling services for when it goes a little deeper than what he needs. And so we're constantly saying to our staff, be healthy. It's good to be healthy. It's we, we, You're not going to get looked down upon if you ask for us to pay for three of your counseling sessions, which is what we'll do. We'll pay for up to three a year. We're not going to, we're not going to, you're not going to, that's a good thing. We think that's actually awesome. You should use it just like you use your day off. You should use these things. And so we encourage it. And we talk publicly to the staff and to the church about the fact that we go to counseling, um, that we talk to people. Um, you know, I talk about my besetting sin is anger. That's my one emotion. Like all of my emotions, like if all roads lead to Rome, all of my emotions lead to anger. And so I talk about that a lot of like me fighting that back, of learning to deal with yeah. it, of how to deal with it. And so all of that, you know, to answer your question of how we're leading in that. Um, and yeah, I mean— I couldn't change. I tried as hard as I could to change who I was, and I figured out I couldn't do that. So, um, you know, I, I, we're still aggressive leaders. We are still have a high standard. Uh, we still have reviews. We still have goals, and you need to meet them. We still get bonuses only if you've met your goals. It's not just a Christmas bonus. You know, it's like a hey, it's the end of your bonus, but did you meet your goals? So, mm -hmm. we still do all those things, and we actually believe that's healthy. Like that is healthy. So, mm -hmm. um, but it's attention. Because, uh, yeah, I think there's a belief that well, we'll just all sit around and pat each other on the back and tell everybody they did a great job even when they didn't. And that's that's rough. And that answer was really helpful with a lot of really great practical handles. And I love just the precision of your definitions with critique, correction, and was it confrontation. Yeah. Because just going back to the crux of this whole conversation is we've got these extremes in how a good portion of what I would call evangelical church looks yeah. at the right way to do church right now. And, and I feel like there's a lot of great leaders like you that are trying to, to, to get in the middle of that and say, well, let's get a little bit more precise with our language yeah. and the things that we love about each model and the things that we might not like about each model and realize that we can, we can 
bring specific elements over from each to create something new. And we don't yeah. have to be a cookie cutter version of the other church. Like what works in your context, what works to serve the people God has entrusted to you. And then also what fits with your, like you said, temperament, gifting and leadership yeah. style. And I think there's a healthy version of a lot of different models, as long as it yeah. lines up with the purpose of church as laid out in scripture. So maybe let's start there before we get into what your church is doing. But what would you say is the purpose of church in terms of priority when the church gathers together? Yeah. So for me, when the church gathers together, I mean, there's some pretty clear things, I think, in scripture. And then also there's hardly any clear things in scripture about what it's supposed to look like, you know? I mean, you can kind of go, oh, we, we think this is what happened. And so um, one of the things I see is that, you know, uh, worship is to be a major component when we gather. I mean, I, I'm i a music guy to begin with. I love worship. Um, I'm moved by music. I'm moved by worship. I actually believe that everybody is and that people who say they're not moved by music because God created it to move us, actually are just unhealthy in some place in their life and have not given God that side of their emotions. So I don't, I don't know that I don't know that I believe that they're, oh, there it is some of these logical people that just don't connect with worship. I do think it's a part of their mind, maybe that they've turned off. And so we are we put a big emphasis on worship. Uh, we are charismatic in our worship. We want to be demonstrative. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We're charismatic, but we're not weird. And so we we believe when you gather together, you shouldn't be weird because when you get weird, then you can't do what I think is a second component, which is um, for evangelism. Um, that you know, I'm I'm preaching, I'm thinking about, I'm designing experiences around the church gathering so that they can be you know edified, so that they can worship, but also so they can bring people to say, hey. This is what God's doing. I've been telling you about this guy, Jesus. He's going to tell you more about him. We're going to worship him today. And so we see that that's a huge component of what we do. Um, we believe um, response is necessary. So something we have in our experiences that we actually got from Seacoast is what we found in a lot of, and we're the, we are the weirdest little amalgamation of so many different churches that it's crazy. <laughs> like, I really believe people would be like, I don't know what y'all are. Like, I just don't understand what you are. But we have response stations that have votive candles and communion every single week and a cross that you can pin uh, sins to and repentance to and prayer teams that are all over the place that want to pray with you. And we have that happening every single weekend because we believe it says, uh, let the elders be gathered and, and pray for people. So we want to have prayer teams available. Jesus said, as often as you gather, you know, take communion. When you think it, take communion. When you, when you, and so we, we said, we ought to do that every week. Repentance ought to be something that's going on all the time for Christ followers. And the cross is a wonderful place to do that. Uh, Pastor Greg saw that in a Catholic church in uh, Europe and was like, why don't we do that anymore? Why don't we pin things to a cross? Why don't we repent that way anymore? So kind of went back to the desert fathers to the and started studying the votive candles and brought that in. So we kind of got that in there. We've got demonstrative worship, preaching of the word. We, you know, we're, we're a preaching church. I preach for 55 minutes usually. So we're not, and I am not a, and this, there's nothing wrong with this. Again, I think this is a temperament thing, but I don't have a table and I don't have coffee mug and I don't, I, I am a, I am a preacher. I, you know, I'm gonna yell a little bit. I'm gonna walk a lot and I'm gonna preach. And that's who I am. And I've embraced that of who I am, but that doesn't mean I can't preach that way about emotional health and about mm -hmm. being excited about discipleship and 
And so in that spurring people on, you know, to serve and to do those things. So that's the components that we look for. Um, yeah. Publicly praying together. I said earlier, you know, corporate prayer has become something over the last year, year and a half that's been super important to us because we kind of just realized we would get people in small gatherings and the staff knew how to publicly pray for something. We would lay hands on somebody. Everybody would pray. We'd be going after it, you know. And then we realized, like, we're not teaching our church the value of corporate prayer, that we can come together and pray. In, and in, so we we basically have a section of our worship experience where somebody is going to lead through a scripture and then through mm-hmm. three prayer prompts that we're going to pray out loud and together for, and we do that every experience. And it's a great moment because— when something uh, um, like it happens in pop culture, or um, you know, in the latest in the later months here, that's been going on with this uh, Palestinian and Israeli conflict and different things that's been happening over the last few months, that, that you got that going on, you have a place where you can pray for that, address that, talk about that. Whereas in an overly programmed experience like we are a lot, you might go, well, I don't, I don't know where we talk about that. Where would we even fit that thing in that happened? Is pastor going to have to bring that up in his sermon? Is that the only place we can do stuff? Or can the worship leader bring it up? Is that work with any of the songs we have? So now we have this baked in moment that really is just living and breathing for the corporate church to pray for something that's going on in our church or in the world or in the community or whatever, which is is really good. And so, so yeah, I mean, that, that that's kind of what I believe the church should be about. And I know I got into like what we're doing specifically there. It's hard for me not to talk about what we're specifically doing. Um, uh, and that that's kind of how we're seeing that lived out, you know, in our church. Yeah. When I came to your church it was a year ago this month. Um, yeah. I w- and you actually invited me to preach during your Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series. And I loved, yeah. number one, that you were walking your church through that process. But I, I was also struck by a lot of the things that you said, like the space. It was, yes, it was it was highly programmed in a lot of ways, passionate worship, excellence when it came to production values, but there was a lot of space and priority given to prayer, to response, to all the things you just described. And it felt like, and I've seen this in your church. I've seen this in, because you asked me what other churches or leaders are doing yeah. this well. There's Pastor Brandon Petty. He's been on the podcast with Generation Church. There's Pastor Jonathan Moynihan yeah. with Mosaic and uh, outside of Baltimore. But I, I see this blend of contemplative liturgical practices with more charismatic modern practices. And it comes together and it's creating something really beautiful and special. I have a friend named Ryan Romeo. He calls his church contemplative charismatic. And and so I do think there's a lot of leaders trying to figure this out. And I really loved how you're leading the way uh, at at Freedom Church. What is, you know, we talked about what the Sunday gathering looks like. What are you doing to shepherd your people, you know, during the week? What kind of path do you have for them in terms of discipleship? Yeah, I mean, the, the main path we use is, you know, nothing new is small groups. Um, and we call them uh, uh, free groups at Freedom Church, but it's, it's small group environments. We have several different ways you can get in that. Um, and what we see is like, Connie, you know, so my heart really drives towards evangelism. My heart thinks about preaching and reaching people, reaching people. That's And Connie, really, the reason we lead together well is her heart is 
all about small groups. Her heart is about getting around a group of people and digging into like the Bible and what's going on in their lives and being community together and being there for one another. And so she really, we balance each other out really well in that. It's one of the few places that we're different. We're so alike in our temperament and our leadership styles and all kinds of things. But she really, that really is a place where God has just gifted her. She's she's really good at that. And so she kind of keeps an eye on that, you know, and, and really is going, all right, how are we doing at that? And, and really what I've watched her, um, you know, uh, learn over the years and really watched our staff learn with her is you you, you just can't rush it like it's mm. so it's so tempting to have measurables um and it's so tempting to be like are we are we doing this and what we've learned is every human is so different and it's it takes some weeks months or years or decades, you know, to kind of walk certain mm-hmm. steps. And you're like, man, this person just is walking so fast. And those are the ones that are so easy and you love. But then we were talking recently about someone that, you know, has been she's been walking with for years and years. And they've been faithful to stay in the process, but they've really taken slow steps for these years. But they've taken some really substantial steps. And she was like, you know what? It has taken a long time but they are growing and they are faithful and they are in their group. And it's just, they're not moving at the speed I want them to. And so I think, you know, I always tell people, I don't really love um, as a, my, my temperament, I'm a very much introvert. I am a, I'm very introverted. I don't, I don't, I mean, people always think that's crazy for a preacher, but I actually think a lot of the really good preachers that I've met are introverted because we can preach to a thousand, but we don't really like to be in a room with four. Like that's really hard for us. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm very introverted. I never, ever think, gosh, I, I just really want to go to a small group. Like, that's never a thought I have. <laughs> Whereas Connie, super extroverted, and she's an introvert in some ways, but she's extroverted in that area too, where she loves to be around people. She loves small groups. Um, she's loved doing that. And so I've always said, like, if if there's any pastor in the world that could find a better way to disciple people than small groups, I would be him because— I would love to find a better way. And time after time after time, I've learned that really these groups of people, some that provide real community, some don't. Some that really stick together and some don't. You know, some that study the word and some that get off on, you know, doing whatever they want to do. And, don't, you know, it's just this huge amalgamation. It, it's messy. It is unpredictable. It is unprogrammable. It doesn't matter how hard you try to program people, you can't do it. And yet it still seems to be the way. Now, we also have what we call our leadership pipeline and one-on-one. Like I'm one-on-one taking a guy through leadership pipeline right now of just like, hey, we're discipling discipling through leadership, discipling through one-on-one time, talking about, are you pausing, but also how are you leading? And so we have pockets of people when they really identify as like, hey, I'm ready to go to another level where one-on-one discipleship is happening. But in the masses, it's really small groups and and making sure they have that great curriculum, making sure we're teaching them and pushing down, like talk about the pause, talk about uh, emotionally healthy spirituality. You know, now we've been a year and a few months of going through emotionally healthy spirituality is like, all right, some groups probably need to be doing that again, offering that again. So we're still kind of using that platform as the best way we see. Let's make sure we we talk about excellence too, because yeah. I think this will hit some of the aesthetic yeah. uh, tensions that you brought up. I mean, there's there's countless things I respect Pastor Stephen for, but one of the memories that I, I go back to, and I actually use this in a lot of my coaching is, 
a time when Pastor Stephen brought our worship leaders and production directors and campus pastors together and basically challenged us with the fact that excellence was always meant to serve the mission of reaching people. And he had sensed that somewhere along the way in that season, excellence had become our mission where we are trying to prove how excellent we were with how we programmed lights or how we did musical transitions. And he basically said, we've got to, we've got to bring it back into its proper place um, where excellence is a spirit. It's not this goal because it's, yeah. When a lot of times we talk about excellence, we really talk about trying to chase perfection, which is, oh, yeah. Yeah. that's a burden none of us can carry and it's unattainable. So what do you think is the proper expression or place or priority of excellence in the church? So we kind of define excellence at Freedom as doing the absolute best you can do with what you've been given. And, um, you know, that may be you did the best you could do with the time you were given, you know? So there's different levels of like what you can produce based on the time. If I get an idea on a Thursday afternoon and need something from production by Sunday, that, that it's the best they can do with the time they were given. And because I want them to be emotionally healthy, I want them off on Friday, which is our Sabbath. So I've got to know that. And I've got to, so that, that line has to change. So for us, we call it, you know, um, sort of the good enough line um, is what we like to call it is, I mean, and good enough could come across as just good enough. And that's not what we mean. And I think you've experienced freedom. I don't think you, you know, you would, you would know that's not what we mean, but I think we can get to chasing stuff that is so uh, far above that, like, good enough line that now is like Pastor Steven said, is what purpose is it serving? I read one time about um, what separates um, Olympic athletes from like college athletes, from amateur, you know, backyard athletes to uh, high school athletes or whatever. And they were saying like the amount of work that it takes to get from one to the other, it kind of gets, the gap gets bigger and bigger the, the higher up that chain you go. So to go from being just a high school athlete to just a good, decent amateur athlete as an adult, not that hard. You can work pretty hard, you can get there, but it's not a big gap. Then if you want to go from, you know, high school to college though, there's a little bit bigger gap. College to, you know, pro, a little bit bigger gap. To an Olympic athlete, the amount of time, what they're going to do, um, you know, how much time they're going to put in the pool, so to speak, Michael Phelps or whatever, is just going to be so much more. And, and very little change is going to happen actually for that amount that they put in, but they got to get that 10th of a second off. They got to get that one more 10th of a point on their gymnastics. And from the church world and the Olympic world, that makes sense, I guess, but there's real, no, there's no real payoff to being an Olympic church, you know, like being the best <laughs> at the very best you can possibly be. So there becomes this law of diminishing returns. And even, I think, not even just diminishing returns, but almost counterproductive return, where you're working so much to get to that excellence or perfection or whatever, that no one in your church will notice. So what I'll often ask is, will anyone in our church notice if we did that? Like right now, we still have a projector to a screen as our back back projector. And the reason is, is because I, I haven't been able to really say that that many people would notice if we went to an LED screen and would it matter? And it still works. One day it won't work and then we'll have to do something. But right now it still works. Will anybody matter? And then what is the return on investment is the other one I asked too. Because, all right, we made that video 20% better. Did it have 20% return on investment? It took 50% more time but what was the return on investment for it? Could, did anybody notice it was better? Did, um, did anybody notice that, 
you you put that time in? Could they even say that you did it? Did anyone decide, hey, we're going to invite somebody to church next week because that thing happened? And so then that can get muddy because then everybody could say, well, I mean, no, we don't know that any of this stuff makes people invite people to church. Well, what we think does is hurdles. So what we say is whenever, if we can't be good enough, whatever that seems to be, and where we're not good enough is when it creates a hurdle that would make where we cannot accomplish the vision and the goal that we have Mm -hmm. as a church. So if we can't do it at least that good enough, then we shouldn't do it. And sometimes that's the hardest answer is, oh man, we really wanted to do that particular thing, whatever it was, but we don't have the skill set to do it. But, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to figure out like what is good enough, whose definition of good enough. Um, and basically what I tell everybody is I always win in that one. You know, whose who's definition of good enough? <laughs> it, it's mine. Like that's, that's who gets to decide. So at some level I get to decide like, okay, that's good enough. That's not good enough. And I've even had to go to our teams before and go, Hey, that was good enough. We should have shipped that. And they're like, no, we want to fight for better. And I'm like, that was, it was good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, it's it's this tension between artist and like, but that's my name I'm putting on it. And it's my work that I'm putting out there. So I don't want it to go out. And, you know, I've said like, hey, there are, there are teenagers making millions of dollars, you know, twitching or whatever it's called to uh, show their gaming. And their videos aren't that good at all. And they're, you know, so so there's a new level of good enough for stuff and and we can sometimes release things and, and it's okay. But yeah, so it's it's a bit it's a tension. Yeah. It is a it is a it's hard. And and here here's one that's near to my heart. And and I you know, I don't know what we can say after I say this. It's not a lot to talk about, but I've never found a church where the production staff was healthy for a long time and stayed in the game. Hmm. I've never found it. And there, there's, there needs to be something in our um, guts as leaders going, how can we find the good enough line in the middle size churches and go, you know what? We're not gonna kill these production guys. We're not gonna just you know, just burn them out. Cause I've, I've never visited a church where the production people are like, man, I'm so healthy. I sleep enough. I'm not, I don't have 15 Diet Mountain Dews on my desk. I mean, it's just, it's just constant wheel of, of like having to do it again. Like, and so with some things we've done in that is like, we've just decided we're not going to remake the lights every time we do a song. Like we just, you know, we, we did a song, we did the lights to it and we're going to do the lights that same way. Now he'll change the colors, you know, a little bit, but we're not going to reprogram it all. We're not going to reprogram every th- every time we do a song, we're not going to reprogram it every time. You know, we're going to do it the way we've done it. It's actually better for worshipers anyway to not keep changing the way we do songs because then they I always tell our worship people like about the time you're like we're so sick of this song, we've done it a million times and I don't want to ever sing the song again. That's about when people are going Oh yeah, we're doing that yeah, song. We all so like true. that one. Yeah. So, so, but just do it the same way, you know. And so, we're a lot of things with our production guy because we have one production person on our staff. You know, we're not multi-staffed in that area. Is I'm saying to him, I mean, I want you to be healthy. Um, I want you to figure out ways to be smart and where we can make impactful changes to something. Let's do it, but let's not try to compete with the Grammys. Let's not try to compete with Elevation, yeah. honestly. Like that was, we loved coming to Elevation, but I had to always tell our team, like 
we we are not we can't compete like we're not in the same world and we can't come back from visiting this church and going we have to do it like they did it and and we can't you know and so um, I think that's something that's is killing a lot of teams is just the competition yeah I mean I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's a very real dynamic and you know we we talk about excellence but a lot of times it really is comparison where we want yeah. to copy someone else's version of excellence yeah. and, and place it onto our context. And we just might not be resourced or gifted or called to do it that way. Yeah. And so there's always someone else that everyone else is looking to. I remember yeah. seeing somebody post on Instagram, they were making a joke after you two opened their show in Vegas with the big sphere. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And they're like, we're already praying for all the production directors who are going to be told to replicate <laughs> this on a $500 yeah. budget. Yeah, it's a real, but, it's real though. <laughs> it's real. And, you know, I think one of the things we talk about at Elevation sometimes is the effort to impact equation. And what you don't want is high effort and low impact. Yeah. And I think that's what you're getting at with with good enough is yeah. what what's awesome is low effort, high impact, or high effort, high impact even. Yeah. But what you don't want is is the high effort, low impact. And I think that's where we're spinning our wheels sometimes, putting in all of this work for something that, like you said, no one's going to notice. Yeah. Well, the other principle I think, Wade, that people don't, they don't want to hear this, but I'll be the one to say it, is the hedgehog principle comes in this. And that's um, good to great guy. I can't remember his name, but uh, hedgehog principle is basically, mm -hmm. you just need to be the best in the world in your world. It doesn't have to be in the world. You need to be best in the world in your world. And so context, context, context is so important. And what we need to do in our community based on what's going on in our community, what people see in our community, I mean, it's just completely different um, mm -hmm. than my friends Judd and Lori Wilhite in Vegas, like they literally have to compete with a little <laughs> bit of what's going on with Vegas. I mean, they, there are people that go to their church, see the best of the best of all this stuff. And so like, you know, they, and they, but they also are resourced because they're surrounded by this talent. They're surrounded mm -hmm. by this. So like, it's a lot of different things going on, but for us in our context and our community, we have to really decide, are we trying to like with Instagram posts, with elements that we're doing in an experience with the way a video turns out. I think pastors need to ask daily, if not, you know, more, am I worried about how this is going to actually affect my church? Or am I worried about how the production guy over at Elevation is going to think what he's going to think about mm -hmm. me when he sees it? What my friend that I met at the conference a couple years ago, who follows me on Instagram now, what are they going to think about this little sermon uh, mm -hmm. clip that my team has put up? Or no, did that sermon clip actually speak to someone um, in the, the my space. Um, and for us, um, we're called to pastor the lo this local church mm -hmm. in Monk's Corner. Like we've never felt like we have a global brand. Um, I don't think we're supposed to have a global brand. That's not something that we're called to. Um, people may find us on YouTube. That's fine, but we're not doing, that's not what we're called to do. And so we really are able to hedgehog it even more of going like, I just gotta, I just gotta be, the best possible version of Freedom Church that I can be in this area, in this area. This is what I'm competing against. And so, um, and it's not competing against the other churches in this area. I'm mm -hmm. not talking about that, but just the mindset of what even excellence looks like and what is valued and what is not valued. And I, I don't think we ask that enough as leaders yeah. of who are we really doing this for? Like who, mm -hmm. who are we really, 
Who are we wearing these shoes for? Who are we, who are we wearing this shirt for? Who are we uh, getting this nicer camera for that our people will not notice that we got? And they will have no mm-hmm. clue that we went to 4K. They could care less whether we go to 4K. We don't even have campuses. Why are we, why are we doing that? And I don't even care about the money part of it. Like, I honestly don't. Like, you, you whatever. I'm talking about just the stewardship of our soul again, because if yeah. we get into that rat race, we can't win it. Like, we can't win it. There's always something more expensive, someone better. And so that, that's kind of why I've told our team, like, we'll, we'll buy an LED wall when we have to, and we will. Mm-hmm. There will come a day when replacing our massive projector, you know, that can illuminate the whole back screen would be more expensive than actually buying a new LED wall. Mm-hmm. And so when we get to that place, we'll do it. But until then, I don't think it would make a... Yeah hill of beans of difference to our church. Like, I just don't think they would care at all. And that's what I want to be concentrated on. So, um, yeah. I mean, I I resonate so much with everything you just said that, I mean, I think that's the question, whether you're in ministry, I mean, that's the application for what we're talking about, but really with all of life, like what has God graced me to do? Who has he graced me to serve? How am I using what he's entrusted to me to offer it back up as worship to him? So in your context that you're talking about, like, Number one, are we actually treating Sunday, like are we treating it as an offering of worship back to God or are we trying to prove something to someone? And then are we actually trying to serve the people that God has entrusted to us and to be helpful, not to be impressive? And so, yeah, I just, I really like you just bringing that up and ask the question, who are we doing this for? Because I think that's something that we can really wrestle with coming out of this conversation. Something that Connie brings our our team back to all the time is, guys, it's for the people. This is, mm-hmm. everything we do is for the people. I mean, it's for God ultimately, but he's called us to serve the people. And it's what we're trying to do. Is that what the people need? What 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 are, is it for them? Are we really doing it for them? And and so that's good. Um, one, one other thing, I, I don't know where we're at in time and stuff, but one other thing just you said earlier too, and I thought about this is, um, I do think that, um, I would love one thing I'd love for pastors who are running towards the cont- contemplative s- stuff because, and I think we should. I hope we all are. Um, is that we don't equate um, that with lazy, and that we don't equate that with um, even. I'm even seeing like you know, you asked the what are you doing for discipleship, which is a great question, and I love that. But I'm seeing like a return, almost a return to like the what I would call inwardly focused church where it's almost like, you know, who's who's worried about the world that's not ready for that step yet? Like mm-hmm. they don't have a soul yet that's been saved to take care of. And so I, I just hope that, you know, work ethic wise, you know, there's definitely like some work ethic issues in our culture right now. Um, what does even a good solid work day look like? All those things that could very easily let this, this thing be trendy. And I think mm-hmm. it, it could be manipulated. And again, not the people who are doing it. I love the, the people who are leading these efforts. I'm not that on the ground, we could use that as a way to sort of go, oh, I'm gonna jump on this bandwagon because this allows me to not really work, not to be lazy. Yeah. I mean, to be lazy rather. And I just, I think it's just so important what we do. I don't, I don't ever want to lose sight of like, it's very important of what we do, what we do as pastors and church leaders. And that's why we should be healthy. So we can do it for a long time and so we can do it well, but it's not a license to like, you know, oh yeah, we just going to take care of each other now. Um, and, and that we lost people matter to Jesus so much. Mm-hmm. Um, if they, if he, if they matter to Jesus, they should matter to us. And so any trend that pulls us away from thinking about lost people as a church, 
I think is a trend that we need to examine. Like, is that really where it meant to take us? Because I don't think that's where the leaders want to take us in it at all. Yeah. I think it's Nathan Finocchio who says the purpose of the church is to worship Jesus, to equip the saints and to reach the world. And I think sometimes we think equip the saints and reach the world, you know, or have to be, we have to pick one or the other. And I think yeah. it's, it's meant to be both. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying. And, and I do think the whole rest conversation, we've, we've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast is that I don't think you could look at the new Testament church and accuse the apostles or Paul of being lazy. I think yeah. they were, they worked very, very hard because of the urgency of the gospel. Yet they also, their souls were firmly fixed on communing with Jesus and prayer and doing the the work of having a healthy soul. Yeah. And so I think we've, we've got to realize that yes, Sabbath is important. Yes, rest is important, but work is also a godly gift and it's a call and it's a way that we help bring the kingdom of God to earth is through our yeah. work. I remember hearing Pastor Stevens say one time, someone was talking about leadership and um, they were talking about Jesus washing people's feet. And I just remember him remarking, I think it was in Inside Elevation, he said, Jesus did wash his disciples' feet one time. So we don't take something that they did one time and make it like he should have done it every day. It's a concept. And he was like, it's a concept and we need to learn from it, but let's not build this whole thing around it. And one of the things I thought about when you were just saying that is like, I I don't think anybody could look at most of the American culture work-wise and accuse us of being overworked. Like, I don't, I don't honestly believe that. Like, I know that's going to be somewhat controversial. And the Sabbath is one day. It's not, you know, like, so when you talk about that, like there's a lot to be done, then some of that's work in your home. Some of that's work with your kids. Some of that's working. So I'm not talking about work as a show up, clock in, get paid for. I'm talking about just the ethos of like working on yourself, mm -hmm. working on the Sabbath and then set aside, you know, for that one day of rest. So uh, in a way that you, you said something about uh, Pastor Stephen talking about excellence had become like it had landed on itself sort of and had become the goal. And I think rest in a lot of ways has become an idol. Um, I hear there's this, there's almost, there's a, anytime I see a cottage industry rising up within Christendom, I start to get worried because I'm like, wait a minute, that all these people are talking about it. This is all the things are being said and rest has become this cottage industry. And I, I don't know that we're not just placating to um, a culture that loves to hear that. And that that's maybe like a uh, kind of a buzzword. And I, I really think it'd be valuable for us to continue to define what does that mean? What does it mean to rest? And was it even talking about, a lot of times I hear people that when they talk about rest too, it's like sitting and watching Netflix for a whole day. I needed my, you know, I needed my me time. I'm like, that's not soul work. That's not, that's not really getting yeah. in. I know that's the kind of stuff you talked about on the other podcast about rest. But I mean, rest is really soul rest and it's not lazy. Um, yeah, you can't accuse the first century church of being lazy. So anyway, yeah, I could get off on a total <laughs> soap, soapbox on rest. Um, but as an Enneagram 8, I'm not taking seriously about that stuff because everybody thinks I'm just crazy when it comes to that anyway. But uh, so. <laughs> um, well, as we, as we land the plane, this has been a, a really great conversation. Is there anything that you want to leave the listener with that we haven't talked about yet or just something you want to double down on to make sure yeah. they really get it? I would just say, let's just do this. Like, let's find this place where we cannot. One is let's let's stop saying there's a right way to do church because there's not a right way to do church. There's so many different ways to do church. There's so many. So so you know, 
to the to the not Enneagram eight out there who's going, but my church doesn't look anything like yours, I would say, awesome. Praise God. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, don't be aggressive. Be be gentle. Use a have a mug on a table with a cowboy mic. I mean, do all the things. Like, I mean, you go be you. So let's give room and margin and grace and all those things to people to be who they are and not define some style as being healthy or not healthy. There is no style that's healthy or not healthy. But then let's just go find this place where we can reach lost people. Um, be ourselves, our true selves, uh, who God made us to be in leadership, but also really run after health and a contemplative life. And and I, I think if we find that, it's the beautiful place that Jesus wanted us to find. It's the beautiful place that Jesus took his disciples to, I believe. It's a beautiful place where Jesus lived. I think he lived perfectly. So he lived right in the perfect place when it came to all of this that we're talking about. And so if we can find it as a church, I just think it'd be super beautiful and stop pointing fingers at one another about who is healthy and who's not healthy and and really be healthy instead. So there's probably something to say about you're probably not healthy when you're pointing fingers at other people saying that they're not healthy. So maybe we could do less of that. That's a great word to end on. Thank you so much, Sean, for being on on the podcast today. Where can people continue to follow you and and, and keep up with you? Yeah, at Pastor Sean Wood on uh, Instagram, not because pastor is my first name, but because Sean Wood was already taken. So uh, <laughs> at Pastor Sean on Instagram, and uh, I don't really get on Facebook or anything else. I don't I don't have an amazing podcast, Wade, yet. I'm going to maybe one day. I don't know. You will. I, I'm, I'm dream- that, maybe that's my dream that I need to learn from you on. But yeah, they can find me there. And then freedomchurch.sc if you uh, care to, uh, to find out a little bit about us. I think we're pretty cool, but um, uh, you can check us out. All right. I do highly encourage anybody yeah. in the Charleston, Monk's Corner, just low country of South Carolina area, if you can go visit Freedom Church, do it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Wade. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for joining us today for Dreamers and Disciples. If you want to support the show, then subscribe to the podcast, share this episode with a friend. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like the video. I'll see you back here next week for more Dreamers and Disciples.